through sports, my whole life I had been learning to wake up early and right. to pack my bags the night before and to be disciplined enough to manage your time to go from weight lifting, strength and conditioning uh, to class, from class to practice, from practice to homework and study sessions. So time management, discipline, hard work, uh, a true meritocracy, like sports is a meritocracy. If that guy's kicking your tail, he's going to get more playing time. And the only way to catch him if he's ahead is to run harder and faster, right? And uh, to learn how to compete in school and then in my career was a wonderful gift. Yeah. But to compete in a way where you're still a good teammate, you know, yeah. to compete in a way where you're still being kind and good to people around you right. and to learn how to lose and come back. Right. You know, all those things, you know, were the kind of gifts that I got from sports. And I, I always think like, man, how fortunate was I to be born in a house of faith with parents that believed in physical fitness and athletics, but not at the expense of academics. Right. And so, you know, if anything, I look at my life, I've hit the parenting uh, lottery. You know, I right. just hit the lottery with parents. And that's why the kids in our community that haven't hit that lottery we need to be more caring of and more kind of. Uh, because I think most of us who have been really successful, if we had to go back and sort of reverse engineer, we all are standing on shoulders and we stand under trees we didn't plant. Totally. And we actually had some good grace and some good fortune, mm -hmm. whether it was parents, the environment you were born into, the people around you. Yeah. And some folks in our community don't have those good graces and we can now, at this time in our you know history as a city, do more for folks who have not been, uh, you know, winners of the lottery. Hello and welcome to another edition of TrekCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council. From deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. This is our final show of 2022, and I'm so excited to bring you today's Legends of Commercial Real Estate interview with Cauley Partners CEO Bill Cauley and the Beck Group CEO Fred Perpal. It was an incredibly wide-ranging conversation spanning Fred's upbringing in his home country of the Bahamas, his career in the design and construction industry, how his strong faith shaped his outlook on leadership and parenting, and his love of athletics and particularly basketball. He was a member of the 1994 Bahamian National Basketball Team and later played basketball and ran track at the University of Texas at Arlington. Fred has spent nearly a quarter century with Beck, joining the company in 1999 as an architectural intern and working his way up to being named CEO in 2013. He earned both his bachelor's and master's degrees in architecture from UTA and was part of the 183rd class of the Harvard Business School's Advanced Management Program in 2012. In more recent years, Fred has served as chairman of the Dallas Citizens Council from 2019 to 2020, joined the FedEx Corporation's board of directors in 2021, and in 2023, he'll become the 67th president of the United States Golf Association. Before we get to Bill and Fred's conversation, I'd like to take a moment to thank our Legends of Commercial Real Estate sponsor, the Dallas Business Journal. Go to bizjournals.com slash Dallas for the latest business news on the hottest topics fueling North Texas's growth. 
And if you're new to the show and finding us for the first time, be sure to subscribe to TrackCast on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media and YouTube. We've released two other Legends of Commercial Real Estate interviews this year with Ross Perot Jr. and Ray Hunt, so go check those out as well. All three seasons of Legends of Commercial Real Estate are available on our website, on YouTube, and wherever you download podcasts. I'd also like to let you know that our first Bank of Texas Speaker Series event of the new year will take place on January 23rd, so mark your calendars and be on the lookout for ticket information. The event will be a conversation with Dallas Stars owner Tom Gaglardi, so you won't want to miss that. Now, here's the Beck Group CEO, Fred Perpal, a legend of commercial real estate, right here on TrackCast. Fred, I appreciate you doing this today. I, uh, I've been looking forward to this. You know, I've long admired what, have admired what you've accomplished, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, this is awesome, and uh, thank you, Bill, for you know just the whole leadership on this. I think there's nothing more important that we could do for our industry and for our city and to continue to sort of, you know, share what we learn as we try to lead. Yeah, I think people that uh, see you publicly or people like you, you know, want to learn from you. So I really appreciate your bil- your willingness to be open and, and kind of share. Yeah, awesome. So Gentry tells me you're way over married. I know you've got <laughs> a lovely wife and two, two daughters. Kind of tell me a little bit about your family. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that's been a blessing in my life is I, I met my wife when I was 19. Uh, Abby uh, is a dentist. We met both as college students. Uh, We both grew up in Nassau in the Bahamas and we met on Christmas break down there. Um, And so it's been a point of pleasure to kind of go on a journey with the same person who's been not only the love of my life, but my best friend. We have two daughters, some like a proud girl dad. Yes. (laughs) I think um, I don't know that I would have been a good boy dad. You know, I'm, you know, sort of very, you know, aggressive as sports kind of person. And I, I think I, if I had boys, I might've been like that typical sports dad, just driving them yeah. you know, crazy, you know, being a girl dad has really, you know, in my life softened me up a little bit. Uh, you know, you, you, with, with teenage daughters, I spent a lot of time on empathy and on listening, um, and, and just trying to really hear, uh, yeah. And uh, we have two fantastic daughters. They're very different. We have a junior at Ursuline and a senior um, at uh, doing a hybrid with Highland Park and Fusion Academy. So we, we, um, you know, we just have a very active life right now. But I would, I would say um, it's been really nice to go on this journey with someone uh, that I met at a formative age. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, in that way. It, it feels very uh, authentic and pure. Are any of the girls athletes? I mean, do they like sports? Yeah, you know, they like to go to sporting events. My junior uh, played on the Ursuline golf team and uh, awesome. is a little bit into golf, but not like dad. Um, and what I try to do is just really uh, allow the kids the flexibility um, to pursue their own passion and sure. not to sort of superimpose my passion on, on them. My senior is a fantastic writer. Um, she is very creative, mm-hmm. and so we just kind of give her the space and grace. Um, both of them are kind of workout uh, 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 fanatics. We have a gym at our home, and awesome. that's kind of the one thing the four members of the family like to do uh, sometimes together, but uh, often on our own. So um, it, it's it's nice. I think for all of us who are leaders in this industry or who are trying to you know progress our careers, probably the most important leadership that you provide, if you think about it, is the leadership with your kids and the totally. leadership in your home. So. Totally. 
So like um, my son Hunter went to Fusion. Yeah. I think Fusion is a wonderful awesome. place. Yeah. Unbelievable. So I've got four. I've got two boys and two girls. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how any men survive because if you compare a girl the same age to a boy, yeah. we have no chance. Yes. It's just unbelievable. Yes. So I'm a big workout guy. I've been doing P90X since it came out. I've wow. been doing it for like 15 years. Great. Maybe 20. And I'm like the lone soldier in my house that's the workout guy. Yeah. But I'm trying to keep the old man out. Yeah. So, but I, you know, daughters are such a blessing. Yeah. I just think uh, kids and like if I'm laying in bed and I'm worried about something, it's never business. It's yeah. my family. Yeah. It's kids. Yeah. Well, yeah. I love the statement that you're only as happy as the least Most. happy person in your family. It's so true. And I think that's true. So, you know, um, with a mom who finished dental school at 23 and a dad who's overachieved, right. oftentimes we unknowingly can put pressure on our kids. Um, and so what we're trying to really focus on in a wholesome way is to try to help them understand, like, you know, what are, what are your unique gifts? Totally. What do you enjoy doing? And not try to create mom and dad's career, life, grades, et cetera, but to really focus on where. Because I think I'm a big believer of this. If you love something, you will do it more often. Totally. Because you do it more often, you, you would get, get really good at it. Get better at it. And because you're really good at it, People will pay you a lot to do it. I so you totally have agree. to find something that you love. Right. You got to go for your passion. Yeah. So you're in laws and missionaries. So yeah. faith is a really big part of my life. So I, I had a, we've had similar, I, when I was reading all about you, about your loss of your brother, and yeah. I had a motorcycle accident where I thought I was dying, and it was mm -hmm. kind of a faith conversion oh. for me. It kind of brought me back into the Lord and in a strong faith. Yeah. So, you say your 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 in laws were missionaries. So, did you have a strong faith when you met your wife, or did did that relationship kind of lead you into a stronger faith? Yeah, you know. So we, my family, um, uh, are, we're Episcopalians. We yeah. grew up with you know church. I always joke with people. I said, you know, if the average person goes to church once a week, and it, and they live to their eighty, and uh, let's say I'm in my mid forties. Uh, if I never go to church ever again, You've I have them. already been to more church than the average <laughs> person great. would go to. Church was central to my life growing up. My my family, uh, my mother, you know, led the choir. My father was a catechist, served on the altar. I was an altar boy from I was three years old till I went to college at eighteen. So um, we've always had a real strong, you know, relationship with our Lord and Savior uh, Jesus awesome. Christ, and yeah, that's been a big part of my life. But but the but Abby's family, you know, the Church of Christ. So we had very different Christian traditions, and I think where we found common ground was, uh, you know, attending a church of our choosing that was neither of the churches we grew up on in. the middle. And we really, you know, the community church model really spoke to us when yeah. we lived in Atlanta. It was Buckhead Church. Now we go to Highland Park United Methodist. We go to Cornerstone. But that's where I go. Um, just finding churches that are close to where you live that can be a force for good in your neighborhood and in your community, very folk, very focal point for us. And so our our kids kind of grow up, uh, you know, in more of what I would call the seeker, but also community, you know, um, church model, and that that feels really good for us to create our own faith and Christian tradition, right? And not necessarily to bring too much of what we both grew up in, right? You know. Um for me, it's important, like when I'm in church, like when I was a young kid, I was raised a Catholic, and 
I was in church going through my to-do list. I was yeah. <laughs> I was there. It was a time commitment, yeah. but not an engagement. Yeah. And then after after with I go to Cornerstone yeah. as well, and I really feel like I want to go somewhere where I'm getting fed. So yeah. I feel like there's something that's going to make me better today yeah. because I was I was sitting there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think it's important. I mean, what we all deal with in our lives um, to be good for other people. We have to be good to ourselves. Totally. And, you know, finding a way to feed your soul and to be healthy spiritually um, is, I think, the first you know step to being healthy emotionally. Yeah. And if you're not healthy emotionally, um, then it's hard to really be balanced and to serve others. Um, and so I always say to serve others more fully, we first have to serve ourselves. And uh, that's where I think the tradition of faith comes in to me. Yeah. Knowing, and- that there's a higher ground out there, there's a higher calling is really important. Yeah, and I, I think, at least the way I look at it, is if you're living every day to please God, mm-hmm. everybody else should be pretty happy yeah. with you, right? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. You're, if you're trying to, to live up to your Lord and Savior and, and, and just do the right things, no I think it makes you a better person. Right. I know when I'm reading my Bible and I'm attending church, I'm a better person. Yeah, It's just kind of, yeah. I don't know if it's osmosis or what it is, but... A lot less swearing and, you know, I'm just better. Yeah. yeah. Okay, business. So, good athlete. You're on the uh, Bahamas men's uh, Olympic team. How did that redirect your life? Like, because I, I, uh, some of the quotes I read about where you said, I found out real early, basketball <laughs> yeah. it wasn't going to be my profession. Yeah. So, just point of clarification, I played on the 1994 Bahamian uh, national team for the CARICOM games. Okay. So, um you know, I think for me, so much of what my parents did to keep us busy uh, and out of a pretty tough neighborhood was church and sports. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, we had kind of the traditional middle class upbringing, except we lived in a very tough neighborhood. So every day I got to see what it felt like to be the poorest kid at my school mm-hmm. and the most fortunate kid in my neighborhood. Wow. And the duality between having two parents in my home in a neighborhood where most people didn't, having parents that you know would pay for us to go to really nice schools where most people you know couldn't, and having you know three square meals in a really balanced household in a in a pretty tough impoverished neighborhood, but then going to school with kids who were financially on a different stratosphere from us. So. I think I learned pretty quickly how to be balanced and uh, also not take for granted what we had, but also recognizing that material gains were not going to be what really you know qualifies for a good life. So sports was kind of the main tool my parents used. And it's natural growing up when you grow to you know be six foot six at 15 and you're a pretty good basketball player and good enough to be the best in high school and a, you know, that you just think that you know sports sure. is going to be your ticket. And uh, that first year uh, playing, uh, you know, as a walk-on at UTA and then um, qualifying for the uh, national team where I could actually see real professional (laughs) athletes and guys who were on their way to being professional athletes. Um, I always tell the story we played. I won't call the name. We played against a very famous player. And I was 18 and he was 18. And, you know, I think he had 32 points in the first half. And I was like, oh, that's, cool. That's what an NBA player looks like. Right. So it, it allowed me to move on pretty quickly to say, you know, if I was going to have the life I wanted, that uh, I was going to be going professional in something other than sports. 
And uh, so that was a gift, you know, yeah. uh, to kind of be able to focus at UTA and really get into my books. And I always wanted to be an architect from I was 12 years old. Um, working on a construction site. Uh, my uncle was a mason and my father, because I was a pretty big child, sent me to work for him. And I was out in the sun mixing mortar and, you know, putting up blocks and uprolled this nice burgundy jaguar with a really well-dressed gentleman. And he walked out and looked around and sort of gave everyone direction on the job site and jumped back in his car in 10 minutes. He was gone. And I looked at that and I said, Who, who's that? And they said, well, that's the architect. And I said, Oh, that's a much better job <laughs> than, <this. laughs> than mixing cement. Right. <laughs> and so, um, so you know, I, I've had just a good fortune, Bill, early in my life to know one. I wanted to be involved in the building business because I, as a creative, I was always interested in the built environment and buildings and what it takes to create them. And then two, I did not get distracted by pursuing a career as a athlete too long. Right. Where it would have distracted me from the gains. And so, um, you know, I feel very fortunate to have had both experiences, uh, the experience of, you know, trying and not necessarily being the most successful athlete and getting into a, a environment in college where I had great mentors and, um, you know, focus on learning. Don't, don't you think athletics, though, the discipline it takes to get to whatever no level you are helps you in life? Yeah. I mean... It was so it was very easy, right? Like if right. through sports, my whole life I had been learning to wake up early and right. to pack my bags the night before and to be disciplined enough to manage your time to go from weightless lifting, strength and conditioning uh, to class, from class to practice, from practice to homework and study sessions. So time management, discipline, hard work. Uh, a true meritocracy, like sports is a meritocracy. If that guy's kicking your tail, he's going to get more playing time. And the only way to catch him if he's ahead is to run harder and faster, right? And uh, to learn how to compete in school and then in my career was a wonderful gift. Yeah. But to compete in a way where you're still a good teammate, you know, yeah. to compete in a way where you're still being kind and good to people around you right. and to learn how to lose and come back. Right. You know, all those things, you know, were the kind of gifts that I got from sports. And I, I always think, like, man, how fortunate was I to be born in a house of faith with parents that believed in physical fitness and athletics, but not at the expense of academics. Right. And so, you know, if anything, I look at my life, I've hit the parenting uh, lottery. You know, I right. just hit the lottery with parents. And that's why the kids in our community that haven't hit that lottery we need to be more caring of and more kind of. Uh, because I think most of us who have been really successful, if we had to go back and sort of reverse engineer, we all are standing on shoulders and we stand under trees we didn't plant. Totally. And we actually had some good grace and some good fortune, mm -hmm. whether it was parents, the environment you were born into, the people around you. Yeah. And some folks in our community don't have those good graces and we can now, at this time in our you know history as a city, do more for folks who have not been, uh, you know, winners of the lottery. Right. And uh, that's a wonderful opportunity I think we all have. Before we continue with Fred, let's take a moment to thank the Dallas Business Journal for sponsoring our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series. Visit bizjournals.com slash Dallas for exclusive reporting on the hottest business topics in North Texas and get breaking news alerts and insights from Business Journal's vast network of national publications. 
And for more interviews with top DFW business leaders and personalities, subscribe to the Texas Business Minds podcast, available wherever you download podcasts. Now, let's get back to the show. So, like, my dad was my best friend, and I looked up to my dad, and I knew day when when I was in fifth grade and everybody was one guy was playing a cop or, you know, everybody was different roles. I was always a real estate guy. I didn't know what it meant, but I always knew what I wanted to do. So we've got yep. that in common. And then, you know, being a parent, something that's important to me about my kids is I want my kids to be driven yep. or have a passion for something. And because like I, I always have all these kids getting out of college and they come talk to you and you want they're, they're chasing money instead of passion. Yeah. And that's the number one thing I always try to tell them. I go, you got to go find something that you really want to do and forget about the money. The yeah. money will come behind it. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the, the you know, people around you are attracted to your authenticity. They're attracted to the energy you bring. And it's hard to bring great energy if it's on real. things you don't love. Totally. If it's not real. Totally. They're going to eventually find out if it's not real. Every time. You know, when I started my career, we routinely would pull all-nighters as architects. Yeah. And it would be hard to do that if you didn't love what you were doing. Right. I never, ever did. Like, this is what I say to our young people today. I don't do what I do for money. Because I'm good at what I do, you know, money comes with it. Right. But I didn't want to be an architect to make money. I wanted to be an architect to make a difference in the built environment. Right. I wanted to be a builder because I know that actually how we live and where we live. And I saw firsthand, you know, the actually negative impact from living in underdeveloped communities. And I was always interested on in how you can cre create better communities through buildings. Yeah. So for me, it was always something that was interesting to me. And something that I was, you know, generally in love with. And and if you love it, you're going to attract people to your cause. If you love it, people are going to want to be around you. Sure. If you love it, you will get good at it. Right. And no one has to make you do it. And I always joke, you know, it's like, so like no one has ever had to chase me to right. do work. Right. Right. And right. so I know when we look at people at Beck, we think about competency as a you know table stake in other words you have to be good at what you do that's table stakes but what really takes your career to the next level here is the love of what you're doing yeah, passion. and the care and concern for the people around you totally and that comes through because you're passionate well i think if people if you're people that aren't genuine or they're living what they think you want them to be it always gets exposed. Yeah. It just happens all the time. Yeah. And it's, I always have empathy for those people because they're doing, they're not living their yeah. true life. Yeah. But so, so you have a passion for architecture. So now you're leading a company. So you, I'm sure you, are you doing, you're, you're not, you're, you're leading the company. Yeah. So you're leaving a passion and creating another one. How did that transition work? Yeah. I mean, that's a good one. I mean, like one, first, I still try to choose some pet, projects where I can be so involved you still get to be involved. with design awesome. and, uh, you know, and construction. I mean, look, I always wanted to be in the design and construction business, although right. I'm trained as an architect. My uncle was a builder, right? So I always felt like what I loved about this business is, one, you could literally build people while you're building buildings. It's cool. Like you could have an impact on the lives of people because in this business, 
We hire people who are high school educated, maybe some who are not even high school educated, and they can be trained as tradesmen and laborers and skilled uh, craftsmen. And we hire people with you know advanced degrees. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of great work is to have a great life. Right. Like we are not beasts of burdens. Like we didn't wake up to say w- the purpose of our life is work. Right. <laughs> no, the purpose of our work is to build a great life. Right. And so wow, being the leader of a company allows you to really bring that energy, you know, to how you set up your company, who you decide to work with, who you decide to hire. You know, so I love the ecosystem um, of Beck and the leadership platform gives me a lot of you know, sort of tools to have an impact on the lives of people. And, you know, if I really would have reverse engineer why I was so excited to get into the design business and then the construction business, it really is, you know, the fascination uh, and deep connection to people. And so for me, it's almost like I'm having my cake and eat it too. I get to be in the business and industry I love, but ultimately leadership is about people. And I get to spend a lot of time with interesting people and hopefully helping the people in our firm and outside of our firm uh, that we touch have slightly better lives. I think they need to know you care, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, if, if they know you love them, even in tough times, they appreciate it and they'll follow, I yeah. think. Yeah. And people follow what you do, not what you say, right? So <sighs> it doesn't matter if you say, boy, I put up on the walls integrity is one of our values, caring is one of our values. People know how you make them feel. Totally. And people know uh, every day whether you live your life with integrity, not necessarily if you do your business with integrity, but do you live your life with integrity? So I always say to our kids, I want to be better in this house than I am out there in the public. I want you to have a better experience with me as a leader than my people at work have. I want to be better behind the curtain than in front of the curtain. Uh, And that's kind of a standard that I think we as leaders need to have for themselves. And I think, Bill, we're in a real inflection point in our economy, in our community. We have a string of thought today that is actually, and I see it through the eyes of my kids, and that, that thinking process that somehow you can get more by doing less. Totally. That you could get more out of your career and out of your life and out of your education while working less. And this pervasive thought that is happening in our pop culture today. First, I think it's a trend that was always happening, but then COVID accelerated it. And the the notion, particularly driven on social media, that you can look into other people's lives and everything looks so easy that there is a thought process out there today that somehow I could achieve more in my life while giving less and doing less. And I think what I try to say to our folks here at Beck and to my kids and the people I love, the people that give the most always end up getting the most. The people that do the most get the most. And we have to be I think coming out of COVID, clear-eyed and, and full-throated about where true sustained success and accomplishment comes from. And it comes from sacrifice totally. and the willingness to work hard and the willingness to take care of people around you. And these are things that everyone can do. Like it, you don't have to have the biggest IQ in the world. I don't think I'm that smart actually, I but I think you have to have 
an impeccable work ethic, and you have to couple that with you know values, uh, morality, and concern for other people. And that's you know hopefully you know I think the takeaway I would have in my career, what made me a CEO at 36, 37 was the willingness to work harder than everyone else. Right. Now, I'm not saying I was the hardest worker, but but I worked as hard as everyone else was working. Right. And coupled with taking care of the people around you, people always know how you make them feel. Right. Irrespective of intention. And we have a, a country today where everyone wants to be judged by their intentions. President Bush said this, but they treat everyone else based on their actions. So in other words, so I want you to excuse me for behaving poorly when I do, but I'm going to judge you harshly by the way you act. So true. And I think today we need to just be more realistic, particularly with our young people coming up. I didn't get here making excuses. Right. I didn't get here doing half of what others were doing. We were willing to pay the price. And that's the culture we're trying to, to kind of reconstitute here at Beck. I do think it has shifted. Like, yeah. like I, I talk to my kids because they're both in college, they're sophomores in college, and I go, you got to stop trying to pass a course, and you need to focus on learning. Yeah. Right? Because education, it, they they just care about getting the grade no. and it, instead of learning. Yeah. And it's crazy. Yeah. And you just watch it, and you're going, there. It's. I think we are totally misdirected. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, one of the things I think that's important, at least for me in my faith, is I think if you if you're public about your faith and your leadership in your company, it brings great responsibility yeah. for you to be real. Yes. Because a guy that speaks it but yeah. doesn't live it because oh. words don't mean anything. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, that's one of the things like when we get into inclusion, one of the things I don't want to talk about it. I yeah. want to do it. Oh, but but it's trying to figure out a way for me as a white man yeah. that's never lived that. Yeah on how I can actually help. Yeah. And I think I can, there's many ways I can help, but I'm always looking for a way to not talk about it, but yeah. to do it. Yeah. And I think it's really critical. Yeah, we need less talk and more act. Right? Totally. But I also will, will say this, because if there's a young person listening in, maybe there's a 25 year old who just got into the real estate business. I have a lot of friends whose kids are recent college graduates that just are getting into our industry. and. I, I don't want to misconstrue what I'm saying because I'm not down on the young generation. No. I'm not down on my kids' generation or the millennials coming behind. In fact, I think that generation is so much more equipped and skilled than even my generation was coming into the, the workplace. I think they have better technology skills. They've seen more of the world virtually and in person. And they have, you know, a comfort and ease with how they communicate and how they actually can be productive that was not as natural to us. So if they can harness all of the good yeah. of, of the time they was raised in and what they have gathered from that time while coupling it with the willingness to defer gratification and, and sacrifice, then they're going to be the most extraordinary American generation we've ever had. But if they allow themselves to think that somehow I can go at home and work half as much as I as I used to work, and I could be disengaged with the people I work with while hoping to have more engagement in the long run. It just doesn't work. People, uh, we are, uh, you know, sort of social beings. Totally. You you need to look me in the eye, Bill, when I make that commitment to you. A handshake is always better than a contract, and these are things that we just cannot duplicate 
without being with each other and spending time together. Mm-hmm. And and so for me, when asked about the future of this country, I am bullish. Uh, but I also feel like we need to be realistic about what it t- took to get to this point and what every generation before us paid in terms of their price to the generations coming behind us. And so I'm very optimistic about the generations that are coming. I think they will solve a lot of these issues around inclusion. I see my kids living an inclusive life, yeah. not talking about one. Yeah. When I Which come home awesome. on Fridays, my house looks like the United Colors of Benetton. There are kids of every ethnicity. Good. There are white kids on my couch. There are Asian kids on my couch. <laughs> you know, right. there, there are kids that are biracial that I don't even know the makeup and I, and I don't have the guts to ask my kids because they don't even think about that. Right, which so, is awesome. So today we're at a place where the world needs much more demonstration, right? Yeah. Than it needs discussion. Yeah. The, dirt, the, the world doesn't need more instruction. It needs demonstration. It needs us to demonstrate what an inclusive life looks Live like. It. And every now and again, I get like a little, you know, back chatter from my kids or close friends. And they say, you know, Fred, people think you've been successful. Uh, you know, the, the, the reason for your success is, you know, you're, you're an African-American at the right time. And, you know, I always find that to be like one of the most comical things. Well, you know, he's a CEO back, but, you know, they, you know, they needed a black guy. And I said, I said, well, you know, there are 32 million, you know, African-Americans in the United States. So even if they needed one, let's just assume I beat out 32 million of them. Uh, But, but, uh, you know, you cannot hold these kinds of positions for superficial reasons. There's no way. Peter Beck, who's one of my great mentors and also great friends, always has, you know, the best quote on this. He said, you know, the fact that Fred is black, we like, and uh, but we didn't choose him for any position because he's no. black. There are too many families that depend on this company right. for their livelihood right. to make such a superficial choice. You have and, to you have to make decisions yeah. on based on merit. Yeah. And, and it, it, it listen, I, I think um, it's wrong to give someone a job not based on merit. I yeah. think opportunity has yeah. to be for all yeah. and it has to be equal. But it, but 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 positions have to be given based on merit. Absolutely. So there, there's no way Beck would give it to anybody other than based on merit. Yeah. So there's a duality in my thinking that I've come around to on this and I think it's, you know, on the matter of inclusion is like there's one time in our firm's journey that we ought to be radical and insisting on diversity. And I'm going to use the word diversity yeah. as different from inclusion. And that's at the very beginning. When we bring a class of interns in for the summer or we bring a class of new hires in, I insist that those classes are diverse. We have people of color. We have black people. We have Hispanic. We have women. Right. We have and, – and it can't mean let's push down the white guys. We have a good proportion of white guys too. We have a diverse class at the beginning. And I think we have to hold ourselves accountable to that in organizations like this. Totally. That our recruiters and the people responsible for working for us are fishing in a broad pond so that they can bring in a class that is representative of the country we live in. Right. And after that, it's all meritocracy. Totally. But if we start with diversity at the beginning, 
Right. We'll end up with diversity at the end. Right. If we are inclusive. Right. So if we have a culture of literally living our lives with each other. Right. And connecting fully with each other. And we have diverse groups at the beginning. Then we'll have diverse throughout. And so I believe it is not responsible as a leader to select people for opportunities based on gender and race. It's crazy. It is not fair and it's not responsible. Right. But I also believe at the very beginning, you have to open up opportunities so that everyone has a chance <laughs> to be included and to be successful. And so I think that's a very nuanced answer, but it's, it's a very, you know, for us at Beck, it's been a very clear answer. We start with diversity at the beginning, we live very inclusively, and we know when we look across our firm, we will have a diverse firm because we were intentional about it at the very beginning. So outside of Beck, how do you think we're doing? You know, I think there, you know, look, um, if I look at the long arc of time relative to American inclusion, I would say we are as good as we've ever been. I agree with that. And I would also say Americans, all Americans need to be more kind to themselves about how far we've come and how quickly we've come this far. In 1960, we were still living Jim Crow, you know, rules. Sure. That's 60 years ago. Right. Okay. So the problems that we face in America relative to race and equality are American problems. They're not black problems and they're no. not white problems. No, I agree. In fact, I would argue to you that while this country is being harsh to black people, it's also had a underlying harshness to white people in the guilt and the lack of fidelity that is implicit on the entire society. Because when we look out there, we can see the inequity in our community. Sure. And we know there is no white friend of mine that would trade growing up in North Dallas to growing up in South Dallas. There yeah. is no white friend of mine that would say, you know what, I'd rather come back as a African-American. And, and we know instinctually that the country has been very tough through its history yeah. on our African-American population. But I would also say it would be it would be not sincere to not point out the progress we are making. And so because these are American problems, it's going to take all Americans to lean into these problems. And we can't let the pop culture and the politicians split us up, right? right? Because pop culture has its own objectives. Politics has its own objectives. We need to be in environments. Look, I, I am a conservative American. Okay, so I. I, I believe in fiscal conservatism as a tool for life. It's it's how I've built a life for my family. Spend spend less than you make. Have you seen any of that <laughs> politically? I haven't seen it. You know, but, from anybody. But being you know a conservative fiscally doesn't mean I can't be caring. Uh, right. Because I I happen to believe in a life of you know sort of you know, austerity in certain regards doesn't mean I can't be generous. In fact, I would say many of my conservative friends are the most generous and philanthropic people in this city. But I think we have to also be sincere that it is beneficial to Americans to learn more about these racial problems right. so that we can't have the, 
you know, sort of if you don't address the root cause of the issue, then it leads to false thinking that somehow those people there just aren't doing enough. And if we don't address, you know, the structural systems that have put that group of Americans in that situation, then it's going to be hard to come up with the right solutions. Right. I used to have this basketball coach and he'd, he was not a great coach and he just, you know, every solution was, hey, just try harder or, hey, make shots. You know, and it's like, hey, you think I'm out here not trying to make shots? Right. Exactly. Sometimes I think when it comes to racial um, equality and progress, we sound like my basketball coach. Try harder. Make more shots. Right. As if the people uh, who are trapped in these systemic issues are not trying harder and are not wanting to make shots. So we have to go back to the root cause of the issue. And the root cause of the issue stems from slavery and segregation, where we absolutely did not have equality. Right. And this is not going to be undone in five generations. I just told you, 60 years ago, you know, 70 years ago, it would be insincere of anyone to think that 60 years ago I could be the CEO of Beck. Yeah, there's no way. 60 years ago, I could be a member of Dallas Country Club. Right. 60 years ago, I could be president-elect of the USJ. It would be insincere to say that could have happened 60 years ago. So just in one lifetime, we've made a leap forward. Right. But we're not going to undo all of the systemic and psychological scarring in one generation. So we have to be intentional about absolutely indicating to all groups of people that there are room for them at tables like this. Right. That we absolutely want to include them in our economic success. And we have to actually find ways to create programs of training and opportunity to actually pull people into this success and to relieve them from a life of systemic underserved uh, communities and what they create. The holiday season is here, and that means it's time to renew your Trek membership for 2023. This year, renewals are being done entirely online through our Community Hub member portal. To renew your membership, go to recouncil.com and log into your Community Hub account by clicking the blue member login box in the top right corner of the page. All members must create a Community Hub profile to renew their memberships and register for events. Members at the investor, advocate, and young guns levels will need to renew as individuals, while group renewals are offered for corporate memberships at the partner, principal, stakeholder, and founder levels. Renew your membership today and take this very important item off your holiday to-do list. Now, let's get back to the show. So, like, I, I, as a white man, right, so I, I think... I think we've come a long way, but we've got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. So I do think that, that you can see progress. Yep. I do think there's some complacency from some a big percentage of people. Yep. But I also think there's a lot of people that don't really know what to do. Yep. They don't know. You know, I've never been a check writer. I mean, I, I believe in yep. giving money away. I yep. think if you have it, you should give it. And but but I'd rather be more involved yep. because I want to see it yep. and I want to know that that it's I'm I'm finding a way to make a difference. Yeah. You know, instead of just writing a check and counting on somebody else to do it. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people, at least for me, I am really working hard to try to figure out what my how I can be a, a game changer or yeah. how, how I can make a difference. Yeah. That's awesome. I you know my advice to everyone in this regard is start small and don't be discouraged right. starting small. 
the issues are so complex, but then they're very simple too. The issues of opportunity are simple to solve. At Beck, we started a school of construction called the Beck School of Construction. We have one in inner city Fort Worth and one in inner city Dallas. If we can train 20 to 30 African-Americans on how to be involved in the construction business, to start little companies, to develop the skill set so that they may be hired by other companies, to get a little training so that they have a job. If every year we help 60 to 100 people who otherwise would not have that access, we're going to look back and find that one day we've helped thousands of people. Totally. The people who were my mentors in life were all white men that looked like you, Bill, Mm -hmm. and they were great to me, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, I have to feel like they didn't mentor me because they had some lofty idea to change America. Uh, They mentored me because they truly cared and they knew that there were things that I could not have possibly known that I needed to know to be successful. Like if your parents live check to check, right? How, how could you ever understand the value of a 401k? I didn't even know what a 401k was, Bill. Totally. I didn't know how to dress professionally when I came right. to work. I came to work at Beck. I used to wear Tommy Bahama shirts and sandals. Someone had to pull me aside and say, hey, you need to go get some Brook Brothers shirts and you need to get some slacks. You're really good at this job, but you, your appearance isn't right. Someone had to care enough to actually do those very basic things for me to shepherd me through my first two to three years of my career. Right. It would have been easy for them to dismiss me as unprofessional or not getting it, et cetera. Right. As if the very things that they may have learned around their kitchen table, my parents were not equipped with that information to teach me. Yeah. So we've got to have caring enough that if each person took one person, right? Right. That might be enough. Right. We don't need to look at the problem like, how do we change it for every person? No, just start making small uh, progress, I and, think. Andy Stanley was my pastor in Atlanta. He had this quote I love. He said, do for one person that which you wish you could do for every person. But you can't do it for every person. Right. But you can do it for one person. Today, we're at a no excuse point. Right. Every business leader uh, under the sound of our voice with control of resources in a company, can have one intern, could create one spot, mm-hmm. could mentor one person. Mm-hmm. If we change the life of one person, mm-hmm. we will eventually change the life of our entire community. And what I find, yeah, great. I what it. I find the most valuable thing I do today, today I have about five mentees that are men of color, okay? One is Hispanic, five are black men. Mm -hmm. Of my five mentees, most of them have not had real functional relationships with their fathers. Right. Okay? Now, I'm not saying they don't have a father. I'm saying there's some scar tissue there. Totally. But, like, when you say you have a mentee, is this this an ongoing long? This is an ongoing. Like, a year or two-year relationship? This is a commitment. Good for you. This is a commitment to help them learn some things they need to learn. Read this book. Send me your notes. I'm going to call you on this. Hey, you know, I'm here to help you. These people, by and large, do not work for Beck. It's great. One of them does. Most of them don't. Okay? I feel like the most valuable thing I can do in terms of American progress is to sow good seed into the life of these younger folks the way it was sown into me. Like Peter Beck literally changed my life. 
Yeah. But before he was changing my life, the other mentors I had at Beck were changing my life. So how do you find the mentees? Do they come to you? Well, I think it's an attraction thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, in, in, in one case, I had someone I really respect called me up and said, I'd Ask like you. you to take this young man. In another case, a person worked for Beck and had a terrible experience and left. Um, but was a young black man and we just kept in touch and that person became a young father and he didn't need to know more about a lot of things and right. we, now it's a phone conversation on a Saturday I mean again it's some of the most enjoyable you know moments uh, you know for me I don't think it's a mentorship program by the way no. I don't think it's like a structured thing right 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 I think it's it's an attraction thing in that you know you're attracted uh, to someone I would say in all cases, these folks are really serious about being mentored. Mm -hmm. And that's, for me, probably the, the most important part, that when you throw good seed on fertile ground, that it does bloom. And, um, you know, so, so for me, God did not bless me with sons. And I think I feel a special calling in my life to have some impact on the lives of young men, particularly young men who may have grown up at risk. Uh, you know, I lost a brother, yeah. uh, and I feel like the way I can re repay the universe for the same symptoms that took him uh, not recurring is to sow really good seed back into our communities uh, uh, and, and into the lives of young men. So yeah. We need more of that today. So I would say to the listeners, everyone can be great in this regard. Totally. Because everyone can take one and everyone can serve. And you don't need to have, you know, a PhD to serve. You don't, you don't need to know Einstein's theory of relativity to mentor a kid. You don't even have to make your subjects and your verb agree to, to be honest and good to one person. And you could change the life of one person. This company did that for me. And because they did, I would like to say the knock-on effect is all the lives that I might be able to sow back into. And so I'm sure uh, for us, we need to make the issue of inclusion more simple. And the simplicity is take one person and teach them. You know, as leaders, I think it's so important for us to pour into young people. Like when I came to Dallas, I came to Dallas at 28 and I didn't know anybody. And I didn't know, I didn't know the city. I didn't know where to go. And, you know, nobody would hire me. And, and I always told myself if I ever got into a position to where I could help, I would help. Now I come from a, I'm a, a recovering alcoholic. So I've been sober like 38 years now. So a lot of That's my sure. giving back yeah. has been owning it. So being yeah. open about it yeah. because people that have those issues then come to you being open about my faith because yeah. people that when they're in trouble, they come because yeah. they know you're a, you're a resource. Yeah. So I, I think 30% of my life is pouring into young people. Because awesome. I think too many of us will meet with them, but pass them on, yeah. but don't get involved. Yeah. And you can't get involved with all of them. No. But it doesn't matter what color they are, they all need direction because they're yeah. coming from different backgrounds and lives that maybe their parents don't have the tools to yeah. pour into them yeah. or give them the guidance yeah. to get make a better life yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think that's such a good point what you're doing with this podcast is an example 
giving people access to somebody like you. It's so important because they can see a guy that came from nothing and has turned into something. But you're grateful and you're and you're humble and you're pouring back into other people. Because so many people in life, you look at people on TV and we don't have to name them, but they're all takers and it's all ego and it's all look at me. And I I just think an ego is the worst thing in the world for anybody. I just run from them. Drives me crazy. I I, I think um, because we're all lucky. You know, I, I, I can't tell you how many lotteries I've hit in life. I mean, the, <laughs> I feel uh, first I start off with the parenting lottery, but then I also hit the company lottery. I mean, yeah. the Beck family has always had a culture of service and caring. And to be able to be proximate to this culture for my entire career has yeah. been a gift. Um, it would be insincere, you know, for me and like, like humility to know that a life like this, I could not have created for my for myself. Yeah. Like if I had woke up at 18 and said, I'm going to create this life, I could not have done that. Right. You know, other people, you know, sort of helped you get to where you're at. For sure. And this is why you need to recognize, uh, you know, uh, that you have what you have because of others. Totally. And we're dependent on others. And that's why we need to be... Uh, recommitting to serving others Mm -hmm. and the folks that get that i think are the ones that are going to build the most meaningful life look we're at a place right now you and i but also most people who are trek members yeah most people who work at companies like beck and hks and all of these wonderful dallas real estate involved companies most of us have hit the lottery we have we live I don't care where you're at as an employee back. We live better than most people on earth ever have and ever will. Totally. And the humility to know that who what much was given to, much is required from. I think it's something for me because I watch my friends in my neighborhood not make it out of the neighborhood. Yeah. I'm talking about not 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 get a job, like not get to 25. Right. You know? And so for me, you know, I've tried to take that survivor's guilt and turn it into something positive by investing back into the lives of young people who are, who were like my friends. Some of my buddies that didn't make it out, including my brother, they were much more talented than I was. They just never they, they were much more, you know, sort of, you know, brain power and leadership and so on and so forth. They just had the wrong people around them. Right. And so if we can be a force for good uh, in the lives of young people, first, never underestimate the power and the dignity of work. You know, I've got some young people that work at Beck right now. We're training them to be safety uh, coordinators and field engineers and, and uh, you know, just skilled laborers. You know, I've got a nephew, my brother's son, who just got his commercial uh, truck driving license, his CBL, and he's driving a you know 18 wheeler awesome. uh, but I, I watch you know an at-risk kid become a man because of the responsibility that comes with work right And so people who are not included in our economic success, it's going to be hard for them to be included and feel included in our community right And uh, I think these are things that we in this industry, <clears throat> when we talk about diversity in our suppliers, and diversity in who we hire and diversity on our job sites. It's the recognition and the humility to know 
that today, if we want to be authentic about what Dallas can be, we can no longer be comfortable with two Dallases, one in which we all thrive and have access to everything uh, commercially, and one where the people in that Southern community don't have access to these opportunities, don't get the good jobs, don't ever get considered and hired. And yes, there might be a skills gap, but we have the tools to close that skills gap. Totally agree. And so for us, it's not necessarily something that someone is making us do. It is something, it's the way we want to live our life here at Beck. And I don't want to do it because the city put a quota on it. I want to do it because our lives actually get better when we live life this way. Right. We'll get back to our conversation with Fred in just a minute. But first, I want to let you know that applications for the Associate Leadership Council Class of 2023 are now open at recouncil.com backslash ALC. The 10-month ALC program takes participants on a journey through the commercial real estate industry and Dallas civic life. Class members come together for monthly educational programs and lunches, network with our city's top business leaders and political figures, get personalized career training with an executive coaching firm, and implement a community investment project. The training and benefits that class members receive often have a profound impact on their careers for years to come. You'll make lifelong friends and business connections who are united in this shared experience of becoming the next generation of commercial real estate leaders here in Dallas. So apply today. Again, you'll find everything you need to apply at recouncil.com slash ALC. That's recouncil.com slash ALC. Pre-applications are due by end of day on Monday, January 9th. Now, back to the show. You know, uh, a good day of work is very gratifying. Yes. Right? I mean, it, it when you accomplish something every day, it just gives you, it makes you feel better about yourself. So, so I want to spit fire on a couple things. So pandemic. So we all have lived through this pandemic. So, so what the pandemic did for me is more balance. Mm-hmm. It, caught, it taught me to enjoy the journey. My wife always tells me I'm running from fire to fire <laughs> and I'm missing everything. I resemble that comment. Okay. And so I do think I've got more balance than I had before. Yeah. And um, I, I think um, um, I, I became handy around the house. Like I would call somebody to fix stuff. And like I had that little 60 days when we were at work. Yeah. Or not at work, and yeah. we were there, and I was starting to fix stuff, and it kind of, I kind of liked it. What, was there any change in you from the pandemic? You know, I think um, for me, probably the greatest gift that the pandemic gave me was spending time with my family. Totally. Um, I had not recognized, you know, because as a parent and a working CEO, you're sort of, you know, we're we are event driven. Sure. I mean, and so you go from event to event. And you certainly make as many as you can, but so hectic. I I think when we slowed down, I could kind of see that my kids were flourishing and becoming you know you know young adults in a way that I wasn't really giving them credit for. I got a lot of quiet time with Abby, where you know we weren't going to restaurants, we weren't going to conferences, we weren't all those BS meetings that you take just to take them. All those went away. So you know, just being able to cook a meal and and sit with the family and have deep conversations. I mean, I think that that was the best part of the pandemic, just the quality family time. Um, I got in better shape, Uh, more time to exercise, uh, more time to take care uh, of one's own self. And, and, you know, and then finally, I think for me, 
um, to really clarify what was important to me. So I got off of a lot of things coming out of the pandemic. And I, you know, I, I always joke with everyone, like we all use COVID as an excuse, right? And so COVID was my excuse to resign from some things did, did that I should have resigned from five years ago. Right. So that I could focus more fully on the few things that were really important. And I would encourage all your listeners, particularly where it comes to civic and philanthropic service, that a full life is actually a life of service and a life of good work. You have to find ways to do both. But I also feel like we, if we're not mindful, can get spread pretty thin by saying yes to too many things. So go deeper in fewer places. I totally agree with that. And then I think the last thing for me was just what I would call adult development. I had gotten away from being coached and from learning. Um, The pandemic gave me an opportunity really to sit down and think about where was I weak in my life that I needed to shore up, what were new skills I needed to learn, what what were things I needed to relearn. Right. And I hired a coach during the pandemic and every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Like a life coach? Uh, a business life. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I call him my Sherpa. Uh-huh. But we talk every we talk 7 a.m. Awesome. every Saturday morning. The only Saturday mornings we take off are the Saturday of Christmas, Saturday New Year. So 50 weeks a year, every Saturday morning, 7 a.m. We don't miss if he's traveling, if I'm traveling, I'm in Europe, wherever. And that commitment to actually demonstrate to those around you that you're not resting on your current ability and success, but that you yourself are trying to get better. If we want the company to be better, then the leaders must be getting better. If we want our families to be getting better, then the leaders must be getting better. And so there are always things that we need to keep learning. And COVID really allowed me to recognize that for six years or so, I had taken off the uh, constant accountability to someone else hmm. to kind of do doing the work that it takes to, to keep getting better. And so those would be the three things I would say that I got from COVID. Those are big. Yeah. So what's your view on the world and Dallas and like, because there's so much, there's a big divide politically, yeah. right? Um, I'm a very, I'm optimistic. I'm a developer, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm always, yeah. the glass is always half yeah. full and I always feel very positive. I, I think we're lucky to be in Dallas. I mean, so is your view, do you think, like with what's going on in the economy, et cetera, I think there's going to be some chop here yeah. for sure, but I have a very positive view of the future. What's yeah. yours? Well, as you know, uh, Bill, I serve on the board of Starwood Property Trust. I think we're the largest REIT, largest apartment owner in the United States. Um, I also serve on the board of FedEx, which, you know, we we joke uh, in a serious way, 12% of the world's GDP flies around in the underbelly of FedEx and UPS's airplanes every mm-hmm. day. So we have a good lens into the economy, both on the real estate investing side with Starwood and also the macro economy with FedEx. So there's no doubt we're in for some uncertainty. But look, when you keep money this cheap for this long, you're going to get asset bubbles. When the federal government pumps money into the economy with no real strings attached, you're going to get inflation. Inflation is very helpful for property owners. I mean, if you think about it, all of our properties went up overnight for no doing of ours. Our, we can move our rents up over time because MSA costs have, gone, uh, costs have gone up. So in some ways, inflation can be a very helpful tool for property owners, but it can be very um, 
um, you know, fractious on a community because it's overly burdensome to the people who are most in need. I think and it's widening the gap. It's, it's, big so time. That, that economic gap keeps widening. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, Beck, we've tried to have you know um, mechanisms where we are increasing more rapidly compensation and reward for our bottom half of compensated individuals because those are the ones that are you know less likely to be homeowners and more likely to be subject to to the turmoil of a high inflationary environment. I do think a recession is probably inevitable, but it probably is going to not be as deep as we think. And the reason I say that is my lens into the public companies and our customers that we work with, there's a lot of production um, in our economy and a lot of demand that is natural. Mm -hmm. So if you live in a city like Dallas, people are still moving here. People want to live here young people, companies, et cetera. So there's still natural demand in the real estate business. And and I think that is true across the whole South. As you know, Beck, we have multiple offices across the Southern United States, and we see very high demand for what we do in terms of you know new starts of construction projects and also new calls on architecture projects. So I think we're going to be in for a little uncertainty, but I don't think it's going to be deep. I hope what we all learn from this is there is nothing free, right? Mm-hmm. So that free money that we were pumped in 18 months ago, we're going to pay for it now. Right. Um, I also hope what uh, what young people uh, recognize, you know, it felt like three years ago, people were just skipping through your jobs, right? Like, it, or take this job, then we move to the next one, totally. then we move to the next one. That anything worth having is worth waiting for. And the people that go deepest in companies and in their skill set are ultimately the ones that will stick and get the most. Mm-hmm. And so a little uncertainty, hopefully, you know, we learn our lesson about the need for stability and the role that loyalty uh, plays in, in one's career. I've been at Beck my whole career, essentially, and um, so has most of our senior people. Not that we don't hire from the outside, but, but I think we have seen a few cycles. You know, we saw the tech bubble burst. We hung in there. We saw the housing market crisis. crisis. It's never the we, same. We hung in there. You know? Right. We're now seeing what I would call, you know, sort of a COVID. I'm going to blame this on COVID and, and cheap money, but there are other things. And and I have no doubt that we will hang in there. And uh, the real question is, what will we learn coming through it? But we are in a cyclical business. And uh, the real issue is, you know, are you fiscally strong so that you can weather the storm? And uh, Dallas has a better shot than most cities in the United States. If I were 25 years old, I wouldn't want to live anywhere Anywhere else in the United States than Dallas. Mostly because of the culture here. The culture really is one. I think it's very open. It's great. They want to help. It's it's a big city that feels small. Okay, so do you think pricing is coming down? Pricing and construction costs. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, so it's kind of like home values. You know, they don't really come down that much. I do think we're see, we're going to see some flattening in the inflationary curve. I do. You know, you know, the issue is Dallas, we were getting hit with multiple infla- inflationary pressures. One, too many new construction starts with too few skilled labor. Uh, then Asia is in a crisis right now and that the production there has never gotten back to pre-pandemic levels. So, so much of our building materials and supplies come from Asia and 
in our FedEx business, we see it as well. It's really what is what has cramped our, you know, put pressure on our revenues there. Just the problems in Asia, and those have not subsided. Europe is in a crisis, as you Ugh. know. Uh, the dollar has never been stronger against the euro, and that that's a reflection of, you know, Putin's war and also the cost of energy and energy insecurity. And look, let, we can like what we want. Now, I'm a Texan, but economic success typically is driven. If you looked on a macroeconomic basis by low cost of energy and high access to labor. Totally. And, you know, so when you, when you, through, you through no other reason, you know, uh, cause the price of energy to go through the roof while not having a supply of labor, you're going to get what you're getting in Europe, which is, right. you know, they're dependent on natural gas from Russia and a bunch of people who should be working in factories and farms, et cetera, are now fighting a war. So Europe's in a crisis. Asia is, an, is is not recovered. And so we as Americans need to know that we've sort of globalized the economy and some of this is out of our control. So this uncertainty, we're just going to have to work our way through. But I would just encourage everyone in their own personal fiscal balance sheet, but then also on the business side, keep your business you know, balance sheet strong. I do think the inflation um, that we have seen will subside. And I think three years from now, we will find that uh, Dallas and particularly the real estate business in Dallas is as strong as it's ever been. That's kind of my view. I yeah. think, you know, I don't think this is going to be deep, but it's going to be choppy. And yeah. I think we're paying the piper, right? Yeah. Okay. So one last question. Um, best advice you give a young person starting out? Best advice, um, you know, I think I... Because I, I you're dealing with young people, yeah. you know, trying have, to get in the industry. I have so. three things. You can't control like how naturally smart you are. Some of that is a DNA issue, but you can't control how hard you work. So work really hard. Two, no one cares what you know till they know that you care. So take care of the people around you. That's so good. Three, your reputation is actually going to be more important than your skill set. So protect it at all costs, which means Live life with honor, with decency, and with integrity. If you work really hard and you take care of people around you and you live life with integrity, the question is not whether you will be successful. The question is, how successful will you be? And those would be the three things I would give to young people. I think that's well said. I really appreciate your time today. I think I. Listen, you know, people want access. They have a hard time getting access to someone like you. So I really, really appreciate your heart for taking the time and, and sharing. Thank you, Bill. This was great. Got it. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank the Beck Group CEO, Fred Perpal, and Cauley Partner CEO, Bill Cauley, for their spirited conversation. And thanks again to the Dallas Business Journal for sponsoring our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series. Check out bizjournals.com slash Dallas for the latest news on North Texas's hottest business topics. If you missed our previous Legends episodes with Ross Perot Jr. and Ray Hunt, you can check those out wherever you download podcasts or watch them on our YouTube channel. We'll also link to them for you in the show notes. Renew your track membership for 2023 through your Community Hub profile and submit your ALC application materials. Pre-applications are due Monday, January 9th by 5.30 p.m. Check out recouncil.com slash ALC for more information. 
Since this is our final show of 2022, we hope you have a wonderful holiday season and a happy, healthy, and safe new year. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.